the Give Them Jesus podcast. My name is Luke Hockenjoss, and as always, I have the very talented, the very, mm. uh, yeah, yeah, talented is about the only word I could really, barely. That I don't want to say like, you know, beautiful. Uh, yeah, that's that would just be weird. Weird, and which I said it, so yeah. All right. It's there. Yep. That's there for the world to hear. But uh, yeah, so that got awkward fast. But anyways, as always, Hunter Brobst is here with us. Uh, This podcast would not be possible without him. Uh, If you haven't already, go check out his other podcast, Life in the Pocket, Lit P. Uh, You can find it on Apple. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, And if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, give us a, I'm going to learn this one day, but what are they supposed to do? Hunter. If you're listening on Apple, five star Apple review. Apple five star review. With a comment. With a comment. Or one star review without a comment. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't really know, want to know what you have to say if you no, leave if one you leave star. one star, man, just like, why would you even leave one star? Just leave none. Yeah. You know, that's my thought. But anyways, and then if you're on Spotify, they can five star review, no comment. No, just follow. Just no follow. No five star review. No five star on Spotify's got to work on that. But hey, since we're in episode four and what? this is more of an established podcast at this point, you know what they the main thing that that said is we have three more episodes to go. Podcast peter out by episode seven. No, they don't. Yeah, but I think really? we're going going on strong. I mean, so, this is episode four. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever stayed in a rhythm like this. Hey, I mean, I'll keep you there, brother. Thanks, man. I have to drive Island. to. Halton. Middle of nowhere, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. We do live in the middle of nowhere. I yep. like it. Uh, like, I've learned why Billy Graham lived up in the mountains. Mm. No neighbors. It's nice. Yeah. We live in the mountains of Halton. Um, so, just look for the it's, highest peak in Halton. Yeah. And... There's not really one. There's not. No. Nope. But I was just trying to... Just in case you're not from Louisiana, it's pretty much flat, flat. land down here. So uh, yeah, but over like Ruston, there's Mount Driscoll in Arcadia. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's it's true. not a mountain; it's a hill. <laughs> we call it a mountain. <laughs> we call it a mountain because it's the highest peak. Like, that's is it the highest point in Louisiana? I thought uh, maybe that is it. I thought maybe. either it was or um. I don't. I mean, I've been up to the top. There's an oil well up there that my dad and I built grading for when I was a kid. Really? Mm-hmm. Went up to the top of Mount yeah. Driscoll. First time I ever saw somebody sink a dozer was up there. That was pretty awesome. There's a lake? No. Well, there's a mud pit where the, all the drilling mud and everything goes mm. into. And so this guy had a bulldozer up there and was trying to cover it up. And the dozer got away from him. And all you could see was the tip of the muffler. Dang. Yeah. It was it was for a little kid, it's pretty exciting. So that's Sounds my Mount like Driscoll it. story. Um never been there. Never, should go there. I've take, never scaled the summit. I mean, I think you should take your wife. Is for, it hard? Just drive. I it. mean, are is there any like rocky do it's, I have to like is it like Mount Everest? Almost. Wow. Like almost. I mean, many have tried, many have failed, mm. few have succeeded. Um, but you're actually in the presence of one that has succeeded in a dually. So if I truck. get lost on the mountain, I'll just call you. You got my way GPS, out. dude. You're good. <laughs> you're good. You just plug it in. Hey, if you got any questions, comments, whatever, and you don't want to leave them on Spotify, which because you can't, or Apple, you can email me at 
giveemjesus at gmail.com. If you don't know how to spell that, look at the um, picture of the podcast, and that's how you spell it, just all one word, no no comma, no apostrophe, none of that. Just giveemjesus at gmail.com. Yeah, and or just a, like, hey, this podcast is great. Yeah. I really enjoy Feedback. it. So. We need feedback because we're at episode four and yeah. we're halfway established. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. if, if anybody says this is terrible, we need to go ahead and stop yeah. before we're yeah. too far into it. That's absolutely 100% so. true. Hey, it's, today on the episode, dun, dun, dun. I'm taking control. Yes, he is. And I'm asking Luke a slew of questions, questions that he has no idea what I'm, what I'm about to ask him. All on, off the... I'll start off with the easy one. Okay. Okay. And it's because you don't really have to ponder that much. Mm. But just for people that don't know, I don't know how many of you know Luke Hockenjoss, but if you listen to the last episode, Luke mentioned that he lived in his car. Luke, how long did you live in your car? Lived in my truck. Truck. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, we're in the South where we call Cokes. Yeah. You know, hey, I want a Coke. That means I want a Sprite. No, pretty much in the South, it's a truck. Yeah. Don't call it a car. I don't know why you just. Anyways, car. I lived in the back of my truck for seven months. Mm. Uh, my first seven months in my walk with Christ from October. So I became homeless while I was still lost, and then gave my life to Christ. So October 2014 until June of 2015. What made you not go live with your parents? So at my parents' house, there my sister lived there. Um, and her two two little girls live there. And if you know our story, we're public with it. And my sister was still in early sobriety, and I was in really early sobriety. And the house would have been really crowded. Now, my parents would have welcomed me with open arms, but I knew that that's not where the Lord was leading me. As crazy as that sounds, I knew that if you know my dad and I had an argument or my sister and I had an argument that there was two people's sobriety at risk. And so I just slept in the back of my truck and said, God, I trust you. Uh, I know that you're able to. And so if this is what you want me to do, then then make it clear. And it just became real evident that I was to park my truck outside of a coffee shop in Ruston and sleep there and study the Word and share my story with anybody that came into the coffee shop. And so that's what I did. For the first seven months of my wow. life with Christ. So on a scale of one to ten, how how much did you enjoy the truck life? Uh, the truck life wasn't bad until it got hot. Mm. Uh, and so when it started getting warmer, because you know, I, I didn't have enough money for gas. Yeah, you can't so, sleep with the truck on. So I didn't leave it running. I would sleep with my windows cracked. Um, when it would rain, I'd either get wet or roll the windows up. And I'm six foot three, so... Sleeping in the back of a truck um, wasn't exactly the most. I didn't have a king size bed, but it was kind of comfortable sometimes. And when mm. that's all you got, that's all you got. Yeah, that's that's cool. So, all right, next question. Moving uh, on. I'm just what I'm doing is I'm right now. I'm asking questions about your testimony, that's just fine. so people can know a little bit more. You're, you're taking over episode four. Yeah, I, mean, I can do what I want. Yeah. So you mentioned that you slept outside of this coffee shop. Yeah. And shared Jesus. When did you just, so like, let's just say the day that you finally drew a line in the sand and said, all right, I'm done. You started living in your truck. Mm -hmm. 
when at, at that same day were you like, I'm just going to sleep outside of this coffee or coffee shop? No. So the day that I gave my life to Christ was November 2nd, 2014. Okay. Well, for the next two weeks, I traveled most of the eastern United States. Um, ended up in Shreveport. The very next day, uh, Herb Armantrout at Broadmoor Baptist gave me 10 $1 bills. I said, this will get you as far as it needs to get you. That got me to Natchitoches. Left Natchitoches, drove to um, Memphis, Tennessee. Wow. Memphis, Tennessee to St. Louis. St. Louis to Chicago. Chicago to Georgia. Georgia to South Carolina, North Carolina, down to Florida. Are you kidding me? No. For what? I was just telling people about Jesus and going wherever. Oh, so you you were just going places. Wherever I felt like the Lord was leading me. That's where I was going. You don't know this part? No, I never heard this part. It's true, man. One more. Wow. I'm posting on Facebook that I'm going to, you know, basically just F you to everybody. Um, matter of fact, a guy called me out on that. And he was like, dude, what's up with this language? And I said something snarky. But anyways, to a few days later, making a Facebook video, calling it the Worldwide Revival. <laughs> and uh, was driving down the road, two, wow. two days sober, you know, and just all over the place, man, would... Um, just go wherever I felt like the Lord was leading me. I was a casting crown groupie for a little bit. <laughs> it's probably a bad oh, word to wonderful. say. <laughs> so you like Bleak followed them from place to place? Yeah, well, so I was in Chicago and uh, went to, I think it's called like Willow Creek. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, that sounds right. It's a, it's a massive church mm-hmm. and uh, they had a Wednesday night service and it was a Wednesday. And so I walked in, only pair of, Blue jeans I owned, had on some old worn-out boots. I didn't have any T-shirts. All I had were tank tops, and it was November in Chicago. Nice. And I had a sports coat. And so I had that on, and I walk in, and I'm just looking around. This lady says, "Uh, excuse me, sir, are you lost? I said, well, I was, but I'm found now. Just kind (laughs) of." And she heard my accent, and she said, you're not from here. I said, no, ma'am, from Louisiana. She said, well, do you have family here? I said, no, ma'am. She said, you have friends here? I said, no, ma'am. Do you work here? No, ma'am. <laughs> so you drove from Louisiana to Chicago just to come to church? I said, yes, ma'am. And just smiled. Well, at that church, they had to celebrate recovery. And I heard a guy share his story of how he was sexually abused his entire you know, young adult life. And, mm. and I heard him share that in front of four or 500 people. And I was like, man, if he's bold enough to share his story, then... I should be bold enough to share my story. And so that's really where... So anyways, I'm sleeping in my truck in Chicago. It's called the Windy City for a reason. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm I bet you freezing. weren't hot that night. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, my mom, my sweet mom, sent me a message. She said, where are you? I mean, I was... My family was worried sick. But anyway, she said, where are you? I said, I'm in Chicago. She said, what's your, what's your location? I sent it to her. She said, we've got you a hotel room at a Best Western go get out of the cold, take a shower. It had been days, if not a week or two, since my last shower. Mm. So walk in, check in. I'm sharing the gospel the best I know how with the guy at the desk telling him this story and get into the hotel room. This is great. Yeah, shower, fall asleep, and I wake up to housekeeping at like 2 in the afternoon because I had gotten the late check-in. They were like knocking on the door, sir, you have to check out. So, Well, I got in my truck, and I said, all right, God, what, what's next? And uh, Casting Crowns was either playing on the radio or, or something, but I Googled Casting Crowns, and uh, they had a concert. 
the tour going on with is it uh, Mandisa and somebody else I can't remember, but they had they had a concert two days from then in Georgia. I googled which it was at Johnny Hunt's church. Oh, Woodstock. Yeah, Woodstock. So googled it. It said sold out. And I felt like the Lord was leading me to go. So I drove from Chicago to Georgia, get to this massive church again, and uh, put on a flannel shirt that I had that I'd found. And I walk in, and this lady says, uh, do you have a ticket? And I said, no, ma'am, I don't. She said, well, we're sold out. Bye. That's what she said. And I was like, okay. So I turn around to start leaving, and this older gentleman approaches me. And he said, son, do you need a ticket? And I said, yes, sir. And he ripped the ticket and he handed it to me. Walked into the concert with Mandisa. I always want to call her Medea, but Mandisa singing Overcomer. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, man, well, like I've said in the podcast previously, my brain still wasn't in the right shape. And so I was really wanting to meet Casting Crowns because I knew if they heard my story, they would ask me to be their next pastor. Mm kind of like a Tony Nolan thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I even parked my truck next to what I thought was their tour buses so that they could, so I could meet them, you Mm -hmm. know? So I was really still trying to scam because I was like, man, they'll hear my story. They'll say, hey, get in the tour bus with us and I'll be traveling with with Casting Crowns. Well, left the concert early, got in my truck, was getting ready to meet them, fell asleep, woke up, tour buses are still sitting there. The parking lot's empty. Found out that those buses belong to the church, <laughs> not Casting Crowns. Great. And so I was like, well, I got to go to their next place, which was North Carolina. So oh, my I gosh. left out and uh, drove to North Carolina and got to where the concert was going to be early. It's in this huge arena. I mean, so I get there early and I start walking around the arena. I end up backstage watching them set up the stage for Casting Crowns. Well, then I end up down on the ground level with everybody, and I'm talking to one of their guitar guys. Find out he's in Mark's youth group, like just talking, and then this guy approaches me with a headset on. He looks real official, and he says, "Uh, who are you with? I said, I'm just looking for a bathroom. (laughs) He said, where's your your pass? I said, I don't have one. He said, man, you can't be back here. And you got to remember, I'm five days sober, maybe six days sober, so I still look. You know, I've got joy in my face, but my body still screams trouble. Mm-hmm. So I will, I leave. Well, then I end up in their dressing room. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> They're not there yet, but there's this lady. Her and I get to talking, and I share my story with her. And I mean, we were talking for several minutes. There's an exit door that I'm looking at that I was really trying to get to, and we talked for a while. And then she said, "Where's your pass?" And I said. I don't have one. I'm trying to get to that door. And she escorted me out the building. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, so I go to my truck, got a game plan. I'm like, I know how to get in. I don't <laughs> I've need already a ticket. I've already figured it out. <laughs> so I go, the concert starting. I sneak around, grab the door. It's locked. It's like, mm. all right, God, I know you want me in this concert so that I can meet Cash and Crowns. Really, he wanted me to meet. I mean, I miss so much. So I start hiding in the crowd of people walking in. I mean, hundreds of people walking in, and I'm six foot three trying to hide wearing like a bright colored tank top. But mm-hmm. anyway, so, and it's November in North Carolina. Anyways, it was so out of place. So I'm just trying <laughs> to walk in 
and I'm dodging behind people. Well, out of all of these people, this man approaches me, and he says, excuse me, son, do you need a ticket? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I paid $20 for this ticket. I'll take $10 for it. And I had a $10 bill in my pocket that I'd found somewhere, handed it to him. You know, looking back at it, I thought that I was there to meet Casting Crowns when God brought a family to me to that I probably, you know, if I just told my story, they probably would have helped me. But I was so focused on doing what I wanted to do that I missed what God had for me. And, and a lot of us get that way. We're so focused on what we want to do that we miss what God has for us. So I walk into the concert, and I start making my way towards the backstage area, and the lady that escorted me out <laughs> met me at the door. <laughs> she shook her head. So, I think, so, Mark, if you're listening from Casting Crowns, it's a true story. Uh, <laughs> I can't make this stuff up, man. And So then I followed him from North Carolina to Pensacola, Florida, and uh, ended up making it to Orlando, Florida. And, uh, man, God did some crazy stuff there. Uh, and then came home. That's crazy. Yeah. And so then that's when I found the depot. It was belonged to First Baptist Ruston. Uh, they have a parking spot right outside of it that you could park. And, you like, it's off. Nope. It's not in the way. And so, I mean, that's where I was a member. And so I parked my truck there and would go inside every day with a Bible, a notebook, and whatever change I found on the street and pay for my coffee. And, uh, man, I'd sit there and just study. My one last question. Uh, have we already taken up that much time? No, no. Oh, okay. I'm just, this is the wraps of the first session of questions. Oh, then we're okay. moving on to the more intense questions. Okay. Where did you get gas money? <laughs> Everybody asks that. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean... I'm, just keep I'm, not, driving. I'm not driving a Prius. You know, yeah, I was driving true. my Ford that I still that's have. That's a V8, isn't it? Yeah, it's a mm. gas guzzler. So you got to remember, I'm an ex-convict. Uh, and so my brain, again, wasn't always there. Um, and so when Herb gave me the $10, it's 10 $1 bills, I pulled up to the gas station. Well, I had a credit card that had not worked in forever, a Discover credit card. Uh, and pulled up there, and I felt like something said, you know, swipe the credit card. So I swiped it, and it worked. And so, man, I pumped a tank of gas. Hey, took like off real down money. The road. Yeah, and so, well, you know, whether it was God or not, I don't know, but there was a lesson to be learned because I was in, I was in Jacksonville, Florida. No, I was in Pensacola, Florida. My mom got me a hotel room again. It had been another week or so since my shower in Chicago. Uh, she got me a hotel room. I think it was at like 333 Miracle Street, something like that. Uh, well, the credit card had stopped working. And this older gentleman that I met at a church in Pensacola, and he gave me $40, so I had $40. And then the front desk worker at the hotel, I mean, I shared my story with her. She gave me $20, so I had 60 bucks. Put gas in my truck, took off down the coast, was seriously driving along the ocean in Florida, headed towards, I was trying to get to a teen challenge in, I think, Jacksonville, Florida, maybe, and uh, truck ran out of gas. Credit card wasn't working. Nothing was working. My truck, I pushed it off to the side of the road. I'm in Florida. <laughs> Everybody I know is in Louisiana. I don't know anybody. Uh, so I take off walking and walk 25 miles in a supernatural time um, did not take me very long, and and it was just a straight shot, 25 miles, 
And my mom, I told her that I was walking. My truck was out of gas. And she said, my prayer warriors are at the front line. That's what she said. When I read that, I looked up, and the very first building that I came to was a church. And it was a church in like an old army bunker type thing. I mean, like an it just a big it was, yeah, anyways, shell, looking, shell looking thing. Yeah. And uh, I walk in, and I'm in a tank top. Uh, I'm in wakeboarding shorts, and so all my tattoos are showing. Uh, the skull, you know, the death of spades and the grim reaper and stuff on my legs and knuckle tattoos, and I've got a bandana on, but I've got the joy of the Lord. And so I was a new creation, but still looked scary. Walk in smiling, this little old lady turns around, one of them that wears the big poofy hats. Mm -hmm. She had one on. Her eyes got about the size of a half dollar, <laughs> if not bigger. She said, do you need the pastor? I said, no, I'm just going to sit here. Well, she went and got the pastor, <laughs> rightly so. And he came up, and his wife came up, and I shared my story with him. Um, he said, man, I want you to speak after service tonight. I want you to share your story. Well, there was like four people in the church. I said, all right. Well, his wife started praying. She prayed for 45 minutes. I mean, it was just unreal. And when I opened my eyes, there was probably 50 people in the church. I was like, oh, my Lord, right? So here we go. I stand up in front of this church and speak. And then when people were leaving, uh, people would give me 20 bucks, 10 bucks. My mom sent me money, Walmart to Walmart. Uh, people that I used to be in the game with, the drug world with, they were sending me money Walmart to Walmart because they were so amazed at what was going on. And I had a cousin in Orlando, Florida, who had told me the last time he saw me, um, like, or I called him when I first got sober, first day, man, can I come to Orlando? He said, man, you, you stay away from here. Because, I mean, that's the shape I was in. Well, I ended up in Orlando, uh, and he called me. He said, where are you at? I said, I'm at, I'm at blank spot. Can't remember. I was outside of a gas station. He said, "You were in the worst part of Orlando, Florida." I said, "I know. I don't have any money. I don't have any gas." I was like, "This is where I'm at. My gas gauge says 12 miles to E, and I'm leaving that in case I got to fly." <laughs> he said, "Can you make it to?" And he sent me an address, and it was a hotel eight miles away. I said, "Yeah, I think I can." Made it there. He got me a hotel room for two nights. By the second night, he allowed me to come to his house and hang out with him and his wife. And then the last day, he showed up to the hotel, and he handed me $360 to make it back from Orlando, Florida, to Ruston. And God provided every little bit. And I was still smoking cigarettes back then, and I ended up in Victoria, Texas a week or two after I got home and was headed back home on I-20, stopped and got gas, bought a pack of cigarettes, the cheapest that they sold, mm. which were horrible menthols, but... Ran out of gas outside of Arcadia. <laughs> and if I wouldn't have spent the money on cigarettes, I'd have had enough gas to make it back. Hey, when they used to work construction, we had a guy, or there was a lot of people like it, but this guy, it was we always cracked on him because we were like, you know, man, you never have money, but you, but always, you always got, got a pack of cigarettes. Every homeless person I've ever helped always had a pack of cigarettes or a dog. Mm. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. All so right. They, I don't know if that answered your question. Or it does. If I took you on a whole nother world. No, that's perfect. So yeah. now here's the hard one. Okay. It's going to take some soul searching. Is it? It might not. You might have answered this question 50 times before, but. I'll let you know if I When have. was Luke, just answer this shortly and then I'll follow up with it. When was Luke at his worst when it came to 
meth addiction or just anything? September 2014. Okay. Luke, now, what mm-hmm. would you say to Luke on that day? Man, I don't really know if there was anything anybody could have said to me. Because, um, I mean, it was, you know, my buddy had just gone to jail for 10 years. Um, and when he went to jail for, for 10 years, I was living in his trailer house. And, um, you know, some, some stuff went on. Uh, and, and I ended up, that's when I became homeless. It was through that house about a month into that process. And, uh, and I was just out there, you know, going and doing things that I knew better. Um, meeting people and letting them in my truck that I knew better. I mean, I was just out of control. And I don't know if there was anything that anybody could have said to me. But, see, nobody ever said anything to me, but they prayed for me. Uh, You can say a lot to your loved one and never say a word to them, but you say it to Christ. You pray for them. You intercede on their behalf. You take Psalm 91 and you put their name into it. And, you know, because there's nothing that, Anybody can say, uh, and I've tried. Even in, in early sobriety, I would be around people, and I know what to look for. I know what they're going through. I've seen it. I've done it. I've been there, and I would try to fix it with my words. My words would just hit them, and bounce off, because uh, they just didn't want to hear it. Uh, and so I learned that I can do more damage by speaking to them than I can by anything else. But I can help them mm. more if I spend more time on my knees praying for them than anything else. That's so, good. That's the very first time I've ever been asked that question. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Answer it. I felt yeah, it was a great answer. Yeah. I felt like it felt like that would be like a common thing that you would ask somebody. Mm-mm. You know, everybody asked that one question. Mm. All right, last question. Go for it. That coffee shop. The depot. What other significance does it have in your life? Oh, um, so I started going back to church before I accepted Christ. Um, and so there's a, their young adults ministry met at the depot every Monday night. And so I would go, and I'd sit in the back, bandana on, arms folded. If they asked a question that these goody-two-shoe Christians weren't answering— I knew the answers. I've been reading the Bible, so I could answer them. And, man, I'd pop off stuff. Um, was homeless, was living in my truck, wasn't saved. And I fell asleep on the couch one night. And as they were getting ready to shut down, they said, Luke, you can't stay here. And I walked out mad, furious. I was like, the church ought to let me stay, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyways, when I accepted Christ and started living there at the depot, um, it was the very first time that I got to witness to an atheist was in the depot. Uh, there were two atheists that were hanging out in the depot, and and I, you know, I would have told you that I was not an atheist nor an agnostic. I just didn't care before I accepted Christ. You know, I knew that there was a God, and I knew there was a hell, and I knew I was headed to hell. And so I never really talked to an atheist much. And I look different than people, especially back then. I'm very. Um, you still had the bandana. Still on? had the bandana on. Still walked like I was. You know, I mean, I mean, I. I was, you think I'm hyper now? Like, I was all over the place. So they would hear me talk and they were like, What's your story? And so, bam, <laughs> you know, and I, I invited everybody that came into the depot to church at First Baptist Ruston. I was like, Hey, it's, it's right there. I was First Baptist Ruston's flyer boy. If they had a revival, I would 
stay up all night and put on a black jumpsuit and run around town <laughs> hanging up these flyers for these revivals. And that's actually how I met my wife. And um, so anyways, the depot, and that's where I learned, that's where I learned how to grow in Christ. Um, it's where I met a lot of people that I still to this day consider friends. Um, it's where I was able to, man, just learn how to share my faith in a bold way. Because the athe- I mean, I'd invite the atheists to church, and one of them just quit talking to me. Um, matter of fact, when I invited him to church, he said, "You don't know who I am." Like a question. No, you don't know who I am. You know, just <laughs> he said, "Man, I figured everybody around here knew who I was and where I stand on church." And I, he was like one of the biggest atheists in our town. And I was like, yeah. "Hey, man, no, but why are you that way?" And he had these just off the wall thoughts. And then there was another one. And I'd invite him to church, invite him to church, invite him to church. He was from Rome. Uh, I got him a birthday present, a little glass figurine from Rome that I'd got when I went there with the Louisiana Tech Choir. And I invited him to church. Well, finally, he invited me to a brothel. And I said, I don't know what that is. He said, he explained to me what it was. We won't do that on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't want to go there. I'm going to go to church and walked out. And Was he kind of saying like, if I go to church, you have to go here yes, with me? That's what he was saying. He got basically mm-hmm. got tired of hearing it. And um, man, it just, the, the depot was home. If you were looking for me, you came to the depot uh, and you would all, people would say, man, what do you do? Uh, man, I, I'm an evangelist. I was known in Ruston as the unemployed evangelist <laughs> at one point. Uh, oh, that's great. And so man, it just, that's where God really, discipled me and worked with me and it's the days that I miss but it's the days I'll never forget yeah so that was your Paul going away for three years kind Mm -hmm. of in some way because even when I moved into the driving range the little building there the um I still would go to the depot and that's where I would study and that's where I would grow and so Mm. yeah well, that about wraps it up for this episode. I guess since I'm in control, I'll go ahead and end us with a word of prayer. Yeah. But you got anything else before we go? Man, that's it. Go for it. Cool. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here. God, I pray that uh, this conversation that we got to have would be uh, beneficial. God, I pray that people listening to Luke's story would um, see that you can come back from anything. Um, God, that you have a purpose for everybody's life. You have a plan for where they are to go whether it be to Orlando or just stay at home, God, or go to Africa. God, I pray that you would just let people know that you surround them, God, and you have a purpose for their life. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. See y'all later. Peace.